Raj Dolezal. But as bad as California is for small weed businesses, there's a state that's even worse. Florida, America's uvula. In Florida, this is how they describe the legal weed industry. It's a cartel. Um, it's a cartel of license holders. They created a cartel, essentially. You have an industry allowing for uh, businesses to operate like cartels. I feel like every business in Florida is a cartel. Pottery Barn, cartel. Baby Gap, cartel. Curves Fitness, cartel. Dude, admit it, Pablo had some thickums. That's the other thing that he hid from the DEA. That booty. Florida legalized medical marijuana in 2016 under then-Governor Rick Scott. But the state gives out very few operating licenses, which makes things cutthroat and expensive. One license in Florida sold for $55 million. And to even qualify for a license, businesses have to have vertical integration, which means you control the entire process. That means if you're in Florida, you're in charge of setting up a farm, growing and harvesting the weed, processing the weed, distributing the weed, and operating the stores that sell the weed. And some of you guys are thinking, whatever, bro, that's just capitalism 101. Just don't smoke my weed, play my Xbox, or eat my Funyun casserole. But this isn't just capitalism in the invisible hand. This is a demented thumb saying, if you can't afford to do every single step, you can't even play the game. You're either flush with cash or you're out. So if you're thinking, hey, me and my bros from high school, we're gonna go to Miami, we're gonna set up a dispensary and make money. No, you're not. Five companies now own 65% of Florida's weed business. They are hot. What's up, it's Mike Crawford. That was a great documentary on Netflix. I don't know if everyone's got to see it, but uh, we had to open the show with that clip today. Uh, Mike Crawford, Young Jerks. I hope you heard it. Was the volume on this time, Grant? Yeah, did I do it right? You did. It worked. You did. It worked great. I could hear everything you were saying, and I thought it was a really informative clip. Excellent. And, uh, of course, my uh, screen, my setup is screwed up again. I don't like where the mic is, but you, you say it looks good. Am I all right? I think it looks good. You got a little light coming in from behind. You got a new microphone. I got a new microphone. Do we do we want the light coming in on me though? I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of used to the, dun the dungeon. You can take some listener feedback today and adapt as Look, needed. Now, now I'm pushing all the light towards me. I don't know. I I just don't like the the. It's the microphone. The microphone's not in the right spot for the shot. We're gonna have to fix this. That's all right. It's a learning process anyway. It is. But uh, yeah, we want to open with that clip because uh, I don't know if people have seen it. The uh, legal marijuana industry is rigged on Netflix. That uh, that that unbelievable little episode uh, on Netflix uh, from Patriot Act with Hassan. Man, man, ha oh man, I don't even know how to say his name. People should tell me how to say his name. Hassan Minaj. Hassan Minaj. Yeah, he. It was good. I mean, there's a you know a few little jokes in there that you know whatever uh, people might not like. I don't care either way, but a lot of good information, and it's kind of like what we've been reporting now for a while. It was like that. That was like our show on national TV. You know what I'm saying? That's what it felt like. He even had Kobe and uh, you know the guys from Oasis and Boston on it, uh, who are probably big national stars from that show. So we. Definitely wanted to go live today, especially because we're talking about uh, Netta a lot. And really what I wanted to kick off was uh, with what's going on at Netta, because it's just uh, we put a story out uh, 
there's a lot of things happening and, and we're keeping track of big cannabis in, in Massachusetts. Uh, Grant, you're aware of some of the documents, let's say, that we've received recently, not even related to that. I've just related to big cannabis in Massachusetts. We're getting all kinds of information uh, about a lot of different entities in Massachusetts. And you've seen some of them, right, Grant? Yeah, you know, uh, dating back a few years now, um, Mike, you've been someone who's been getting these documents from sort of inside the companies uh, that are operating in Massachusetts. And uh, the show that you just uh, played a clip from did a great job explaining how medical and adult use cannabis markets can be uh, monopolized via regulatory capture. And this oftentimes is a side effect of prohibitionists having an interest in a slow rollout. So prohibitionists in states like Florida, Massachusetts, et cetera, try to slow down the rollout of adult use and medical use. And then companies get in bed with those politicians because they realize that a slow rollout, although it leads to higher prices, reduced access, lower quality, that means they get a market monopoly and can charge a ridiculous price for that terrible quality medicine. And what we find, Mike, when you get these documents from companies is that they know full well that they can do that. And they actually try to tell their investors that part of their business strategy is to capture the market in that way. There's a lot going on right now. A lot to report, a lot to come out. Uh, we've got, we, we, we read the documents, we read the lawsuits. There's also a lot of lawsuits happening. Uh, that's one hint I'll give you right now. But uh, we're the Young Jerks, and I wanted to start off with like three, maybe four different things today. Grant's like, please not a two-hour show. It might be. It just might be. Don't, I mean, we'll see. We have a lot to get to. First of all, we opened up because if you looked in that clip, in that clip, there was uh, several Massachusetts references. If you look closely throughout that whole video, uh, the clip we play, played uh, went right to Florida, right? And after they went from Florida, they go to Massachusetts, and we we're actually maybe play that towards the end of the show. But that was actually the first moment that you saw a Massachusetts company, a company doing business in Massachusetts, was actually uh, featured. If you looked at the uh, the, remember when the gentleman talked about the Florida market being totally rigged and it's a, a cartel, and it's you know totally fixed and, and list a couple of companies. One of the companies was called Satira. And Satira is the company that now owns Netta. They're parallel. They've, I don't know who bought what, but parallel Satira, same thing. So this is, uh, you know, right back to Netta. So Netta was basically featured in that viral Netflix show that just came out that everyone's talking about. Um, and it's just all about what's going on uh, in Massachusetts, but nationally too. And what we have going on in Massachusetts, unlike other places, is we're fighting back and uh Shaleen title is a big reason why and and what just this whole community has been fighting for because uh, we got bad news for can big cannabis in massachusetts they thought they were going to take over this is going to be an easy win no we're fighting back and we're winning like lately we have been winning and Shaleen's been winning and it's taken a while but we're seeing places get open like even just this week and next week and the week after uh, Things are happening right now, and we're expecting much more, and big cannabis is starting to lose, and they've been exposed over and over again, and what I want to do right now is I want to go to, um, I want to screen share this ridiculous story that came out and talk about what Ned has been doing this week, because first of all, I mean, there's this, this thing I missed on 420 uh, that came out in Forbes about Netta, 
And it was just the most nauseating quote from Amanda Rosatano. And I want to make sure I just put that on the screen right now. It's going to take me a second to work this out. But uh, this was just nauseating, nauseating. I'm going, to, I'm going to share it right now. I want people to see what we're talking about here. Um, yeah, it was just just garbage. And, and Forbes should be ashamed of themselves to put, to put this kind of crap. You know, here it is. Here's the quote. Um, it's basically talking about, you know, 420 and how things are going in the industry with the shutdowns and, and how some places have been deemed essential. And then the last paragraph, it's Netta's Rosatano. This is the head person at uh, Netta, Amanda Rosatano. Netta's Rosatano disagrees. My take is that the industry and professionalism of the industry is what's really diminishing that stoner image, she, she says. It's having a space that's regulated, that people feel safe to come into, that people see people who look just like them, who are using cannabis for all sorts of different reasons and acceptance of that. For me, that's what's really breaking down the stoner image for me. Here's a corporate woman who is a state aid, uh, state aid rep. She's, you know, this is, this is, this is, where was she when we were fighting for cannabis? Where, where was she? She's talking about the stigma and the culture and that the professionalism of the industry. That's what's diminishing the stoner image. I think if you watch that episode that just aired on Netflix, it wasn't about the stoner image. That, that Netflix episode wasn't about the stoner image. It was about scumbags who are white, supposedly professionals that don't act professional that steal, that rob, that do lawsuits, that all kinds of, that cover up mold. That's the problem. And it's big cannabis. So here's someone that's saying that uh, it's the professionalism of the industry and her place has black mold growing on it for two years straight. They're union busting right now. That place is not professional. It's not her professionalism that has uh, made the industry stand up. I hate to say it. And then she uses the word uh, safe, that to feel safe to come into. Your employees don't feel safe. You're a liar, Amanda Rosatano. Your employees do not feel safe going into Netta. So that's where we're at. And, and then Netta also posts you know, more garbage on their Twitter about health and safety. They're getting trolled left and right. They won't respond directly. So I just figured I'd bring that up today. I, I just want to kick off on that because I'm on fire. Like big cannabis, we are on you. We are on you every moment. Every moment. This community is. We're not taking it anymore. So uh, let, me, let me stop sharing that, right? We'll go back to Grant and I. Grant, do you want to comment on any of that little rant that I went on about Netta? No, I think you make a good point, um, which is that if people are putting themselves out there as trying to stand for integrity and stand for, uh, you know, cleaning up the stoner image, which I don't think needs to be cleaned up in the first place, they absolutely should not be doing so while they have a line of employees who have been not only coming on this show, but going into the public in general and voicing their concerns about how that specific company has caused problems for them in the area of workplace safety, product safety, and otherwise. So I think that 
there's always going to be an element of PR to news stories, but I've always lived by the code that when you're writing something someone else wants you to write, that's not journalism. That is public relations. And there is nothing that frustrates me more than when publications or podcasts or anyone write something just because a corporate person feels that it is in their best interest or makes that company look good. Real journalism is writing what people don't want you to write. And that's why The Young Jerks is such a special commodity within the cannabis arena, because when you can have a program that companies, lawmakers, regulators, et cetera, not only look to, but feel a, a, a pull to come on and sort of uh, explain themselves to the audience, that's how you do real journalism. You don't write puff pieces that allow them to say whatever they want and get away with it without right. challenging them. You know, it's so funny you say uh, that they don't want, you know, you write pieces that people don't want. The audience wants it. Right. You know, so that like I'm smiling because I'm like, I know a lot of people who do want it. It's just not the ones you're writing about, you know, exactly. not a puff piece. Yeah, we don't we don't generally do puff pieces unless they're well deserved. If you got a puff piece from me or someone else, you know, or even come on the show and stuff, it's because it's deserved. You know, there's a difference. Uh, they well, don't deserve it. Nana doesn't deserve it. That their their experience, their track record, they don't deserve it. Um, I also wanted to make sure that we mention a couple things. Uh, Alternative Wellness Center, uh, Kathleen Mc, 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 uh, McKinnon. <laughs> Kathleen McKinnon, I want to thank you for. Uh, you got me registered as a patient again today. So I am officially, I have my temporary card already. I got everything all set. I can't believe how quick it is now. Like it actually does work on the renewal part. So I'm happy uh, Mass Medical Cannabis is actually taking some steps that we've been pushing for. We still got a lot more work to do. Uh, speaking of which, uh, some of you might've noticed that I have applied uh, with the help of Grant Smith here. I submitted 49 pages, was it Grant? Well, with the help of the whole community, but yes, that yeah, was, yeah, uh, exactly. Quite an application. Hey, this was a crowdsourced. I'm glad you mentioned that because there were a lot of people contributing letters, uh, contributing paragraphs. Like we, uh, we made a document grant, and I think it's awesome uh, because this is now a public document. Some of my life stuff that I didn't want out there, but hey, I'm doing it for the cause. But what I like about this document is it's a kind of a game plan for people uh, to apply for the Cannabis Control Commission. You can use this, you can add to it. I think it's a smart idea what we did. We actually described exactly what we wanted to do. We went with new regulations we wanna see, new proposals, and uh, Grant and I kind of worked on it together this week with the help of the community too. So Yeah, and it wasn't just a matter of putting together the application that made it so great, Mike. It was that you went to the community and asked them to help you actually develop some of the platform that you right. were going to present to the appointment authorities as the foundation of why you want to be a commissioner. And I will tell you, I bet when they read that platform that you and the community have worked on together, they are going to say this person did exactly what it is that regulators are supposed to do, which is go through a process of consultation with all the stakeholders involved from businesses to patients to uh, consumer safety advocates and otherwise, and develop a set of targeted policies and procedures to remedy what you feel to be structural breakdowns, whether it be uh, the structural breakdown that allowed 193 medical dispensaries to open adult use stores while only eight or nine EEs opened, or the kind of structural breakdown that allowed RMDs or uh, retail dispensaries to send products for testing that they chose 
or uh, identifying weaknesses like the fact that not dating back to 2012, not a single program has existed for equity in medical cannabis licensing. And you didn't just identify those breakdowns, Mike. You actually developed and proposed solutions. This is what I liked. Like, I, you know, it's so easy. I, I hear so many politicians come on shows like ours, and they talk about these buzzwords. But then when you try to ask them specifically what they're going to do, then it's like, um, um, and they'll say the buzzwords again. We actually started the conversation. And I want to make sure that people understand this because we're. Po I already posted some of it today. Um, and I posted just one section, which was, dealing with uh, consumer, no, actually this was part employer, but it's partially consumer too, but it's really about employee safety, how to uh, ensure better employee safety. Cause there was a couple different planks that we had, you know, consumer, employee, expanding medical use, expanding veteran uh, participation and medical. Uh, and also uh, what was it? Uh, Lowering oh, barriers to entry. Yeah, yeah the big one that, that, that was in the episode that we're talking about today on Netflix, which is, you know, how Kobe Evans and uh, the guys from Oasis got to open first being black men in Boston and how cool that is. Finally, we're trying to get somewhere and we finally see something happening. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that in Massachusetts. And I want to be, no matter what, whether I'm with the Cannabis Control Commission or outside the Cannabis Control Commission, I want to be working on the team that we're all doing this together. And so the document that we put out and that we put in this application was just some ideas that we were talking about. And concrete steps, things that we could do. Uh, we're going to talk about some of those, but I want to let people know, like, that's not the final thing, like on all of this. Like, if you've noticed, things have slowly gotten better. We start adding things. We can't add everything at once at all times. It's just not how things work. But it's a piecemeal approach that works. And it's just make it better. If you make it better every year, you make it a little better. You know, in five years, you'll have a great program, you know, and it a lot of the work's already been started. Like it's already happening. Like the SE delivery, it is huge. Like there's a lot happening right now that to be thankful about. And this is just the beginning and we're making wins. And so I think, you know, on the application, we started sharing some of that information uh, that we got from the community. And, and the one I like is the um, testing. Cause I feel like the mold issue and a lot of these other things that we're hearing about from a lot of different dispensaries, but Netta, you know, is the big one we've uh, reported on that testing would help, especially a testing reform. Cause in Massachusetts, we know that they can just pick any product. They can test it multiple times. They, they have a lot of uh, control. The dispensary has a lot of control over getting good testing results and it's easy and it's flawed. And so we suggested a, uh, in the application and what we shared is that uh, if they want to do body cams for uh, SE delivery, for smaller micro delivery, why not do the same thing uh, for the testing and, and make, make the taste testing companies come out and they actually choose what piece of flour gets tested. Uh, if they see a moldy bud, they're probably gonna grab that and they'll get it tested right away. And they'll have body cameras on so that there's no shenanigans going on, no money being handed. It's all recorded, it's all real, you know? It's like, let's make, the RMDs have to get tested like a real test, not, not just some BS. And there were some other things we included in there, Grant. You even want to yeah. talk about some of it? Well, no, just on that point. So the, the testing that you're talking about, that's how MDAR, the Mass Department of Agricultural Resources, does hemp testing. Right. You don't get to have a testing lab come out and then give them a sample that you pick as a dispensary or as a cultivator or grower. 
they come out and select from your batch. Why don't we have Amadar do it? I mean, geez, you know. Well, that's a good point. There are some people who think that cannabis should be regulated as I think an agricultural we should do both. commodity. Yeah, let's do both. Let's make them get tested from both angles. <laughs> But no, that the reason why it's so important, though, is because when you let a dispensary pick what sample is going for testing, you create two problems. One, they're obviously not going to pick something. Three problems, actually. One, they're not going to pick something that looks like it's uh, contaminated. Two, even if it is contaminated, they can use adulterants or uh, cleaning agents uh, to clean a specific sample and then send it to the lab. And three... These labs, their biggest customers are these dispensaries. Right. So even if the labs find out that something's going wrong, they have a vested conflict of interest where they have a reason not to go to the commission or say anything That's about right. it. That's right. 100%. So there's a lot of issues with this. And uh, we're going to try to fix it. No matter if I get on the commission this time or Grant gets on the commission next time. I mean, we, we, we have a long-term game plan now as a community. And not just me. A lot of us, we're, we're looking long-term and these are documents now that we've created that the public's going to be able to use so that other people that want to apply can kind of put forward the same platform. And hopefully whoever does get selected, whether it's me or some corporate lobbyist, that they actually have to say, you know what, these things are good ideas and I want to see these things get done. You know, like we want to make it such a campaign that people have to, that the Cannabis Control Commission has to step it up and start pushing some of this stuff through. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I've been very critical of the Cannabis Control Commission, maybe almost unfairly in some respects. You know, I really went after Britt McBride, for instance, about the uh, the whole, you know, we, we remember that, the, the what do we call it, the bill. conference, the task force. Yeah. And really, maybe it was a, a lot of hullaba about nothing, really. Because if you look behind the scenes, Grant knows, and he's the one who's kind of informed me of some of these things, like, we're, we're on the right track, even with Britt McBride, right? Yeah, um, Britta. Uh, I thought her name was Britt for a very long oh, time. Oh, is it Britta? Too. Are we it, saying it Britta. wrong? Yeah, Britta. so we've been Britta saying McBride. it wrong. Uh, it's Britta McBride. But Britta has done um, some excellent work, in particular on um, the structure for microbusiness delivery. Uh, for folks who don't know, when the commission was first thinking about adult use delivery, so just to bring it back, right now, medical cannabis delivery, which has been allowed for a bit longer than adult use delivery, only dispensaries can do that delivery, basically. For adult use, last year in the summer of 2019, when the Cannabis Control Commission was thinking about how to structure adult use delivery, Britta was actually in charge of the uh, proposal for what delivery would look like. Her initial proposal um, before she even began work, Sorry. Well, it, it started as delivery only from dispensaries. Then Britta moved it to uh, third party companies like there is now doing delivery. And then after some of us said that's not enough, she was the one who took the feedback and worked with Commissioner Doyle and the other commissioners to develop delivery endorsements for micro businesses. And what that allows is for micro businesses who can have up to 5,000 square feet of canopy, who can purchase 2,000 pounds of flour from other cultivators each year. Um, they can retail their products directly Direct. to consumers. I love that. So like when Ed D'Souza opens River Run Gardens mm -hmm. up in Newburyport, I'll be like, Ed, I want two ounces on Friday, and he'll just deliver it to my house. I don't have to go to a dispensary. I don't have to go to a middleman. I'm getting it right from the micro applicant. That will be amazing. I don't know if he has that for it. Does he have that option? Um, not for the first two years, uh, Ed specifically, but uh, the, this is what you were alluding to earlier. For any type of delivery, 
whether it's the delivery where you own cars and deliver product at retail price from dispensaries, or whether you're a micro business, is exclusive to EEs and SEs oh, for that's two right. years. Okay. So, so what's the micro part when you said that? Because that's confusing to me now. You said that they, you just said a minute ago that they can actually deliver, right? Right. Micro businesses for the first two years who are SE or EE. Oh, so you have to be SE. That's what I'm getting caught up on. That's what I'm getting delivery endorsement. Now, Jeez, micro businesses can still operate. They, yeah. they don't have to do delivery, but if they want to do delivery. For they the do first it through SE years, or EE. No, no, no. They have to be an SE or EE themselves. No, but they, they can have the SEEE deliver for them. No. No, they can't deliver their product at all. As far as I know, no. Oh, that stinks. Yeah. So Until they, they still get have the to retail to the dispensary. They have to wholesale to a dispensary, yeah. yeah. Interesting. We're learning all the – this is the ins and outs. It's still better than it was, but uh, see, these are things I want to change then. I want to allow them to – especially the micro-applicants. I feel like those are the guys that deserve a break too. You think they, even if they don't have a delivery endorsement, you want them to be able to use a third-party delivery company? Yeah, I, think that's that's reasonable. Reasonable. I think like, that's reasonable. I think that's Even if they're not doing, the, like, they're not shutting anyone out. They're not taking the, their spot. They're just, you know. I think it's, I think, and that's absolutely worthwhile to discuss because I think that's true. A micro business who doesn't have a delivery endorsement should be able to use a third-party delivery company owned by product. an EE or an SE. I don't want to sure. have to get it from Netta. I don't want to have to go to a dispensary. You know what I mean? just more layer of, you know, cost. Uh, we're the young jerks, but again, we're, we're talking about changes. Changes are coming. Good things are happening. Uh, again, we, I mentioned I applied, I sent, uh, how many pages? 49 pages, right, Grant? Am I right on that? I think you said 49 yeah, total 49. pages. 49 total pages I sent to them, uh, with three written recommendations, five or well, actually more than that, but at least, you know, five additional references and then more in that, in the, uh, resume, and then we had to, you know, the big part is explaining exactly what we want to do, what I want to do if I'm on the Cannabis Control Commission. Uh, so, you know, basically we're asking people to call the governor, call the attorney general's office, call the treasurer's office, tell them that you want Mike Crawford on the Cannabis Control Commission and why. Because um, we do, we really want to change this. And we think this, this is a, a campaign that we can win. Typically, you don't see campaigns for appointed offices, but we're unusual and we're in a strong position uh, by doing it this way, because it gets your attention. Uh, we're doing a lot of different things on this. So we know that we're, you know, this campaign is going to hit them and they're going to be like, wow, who's this guy? We got to read everything about it and look into it. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We have no idea, do we, Grant, really? Uh, yeah, you know, you don't know. This is a very unique situation because a lot of times people, so first of all, there's not a lot of people who are clamoring to jump from the private sector to become a regulator because you become a regulator as a selfless act of public service. And second of all, Less so money. Be, because of that, you see very few um, people like yourself who have a combined experience in the private sector and then who have an experience in the grassroots activist community. And I don't think they're ever, I don't think they've ever seen an application like the one that you've submitted because I don't know if they, the appointment authorities, are going to know as much about the cannabis industry as you know. And I think that's going to be very interesting because I think you're going to get an interview. I'm not a betting man, but I'm a predicting man. And I could see you getting an interview. I'm kind of feeling I'm, I might. Like, I don't know now. I have no real clue, but I wouldn't doubt it because I know the application. And we did, you know, I did spend a lot of time on that. And I listed every article I ever wrote. So, I mean, 
I think that's probably the biggest obstacle for me getting it, honestly, is that three of the people <laughs> that are deciding I've written stories criticizing those three people directly. So, I mean, but, you know, I, I haven't really been all, all awful to them all the time, I don't think, uh, especially even recently. The governor, I, I've been defending him on a lot of things recently. So if if that even comes up, I think my answer will be like, I've criticized you and I've supported you. So there you go. I'm unfair, right? Well, that, that's what it comes down to. You don't exist just to target them. You're, you have always throughout your career, and I think this is what they're going to like about you. I know this is what the audience likes and what I respect about you. You don't pursue things based on whether or not they're going to have an impact on yourself or the people you know. You pursue things because you feel that they're important causes or they're important elements of the regulations or the law, and that's what they want. They want. They don't want someone who's going to say, "Is my friend Joe going to be impacted by my decision?" They want someone who's going to say, "I love Joe, but I don't care if I make a decision that impacts his profits because I'm here to do what's right." Yeah, to do what's best for, like Massachusetts. Or I, you know, I think this industry can really grow and make more money and more tax money, but let everyone in and and, and like have the best product and the safest, especially for consumers and workers, like people who buy into this industry don't deserve to be abused and, and ripped off and and made to feel bad. Like later on, there's so many people, it's like, you know, they find out, they're like, man, I didn't know about Netta. I've been shopping. They feel bad. Like, I, I don't want to feel bad about what I supported for so long. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's where we all are as a community. Uh, so we'll see what happens on that. Cannabis Control Commission, yes, I have applied. Uh, you can help me contact the governor, contact the attorney general, contact the treasurer. And let me just say, uh, I want to thank uh, Quinton, uh, Cambridge City Council, Quinton Zondervan, who wrote me an awesome letter of recommendation. Huge, like on time, perfect. I loved it. That was like one of the leading uh, recommendations. I will also want to thank uh, the big man uh, from Dig Boston, my editor, longtime editor, Chris Ferrone, wrote me a huge recommendation. When, when I read that, I was almost crying. I, I, yeah. So I want to thank Chris Verone. Uh, I also want to thank uh, some other people, uh, my friend Dan uh, from Fidelity, who wrote me a, uh, a great letter of recommendation as well. And uh, Grant Smith, who wrote me a nice letter. Thank you, Grant. Uh, also, uh, Jim Borgasani sent me one, uh, you know, one of the campaign directors for the uh, legalization campaign, Stephen Mendilly. And a lot of these letters are being sent now to the governor, attorney general and treasurer. So I really want to thank you. I also had a former selectman send me one, uh, James Whalen. Thank you, James, or, or, or town member. I'm not sure exactly what his title is. It's different in every town, but I want to thank him as well. Stephen Mendilly, obviously, is also a, uh, a sitting expert selectman, so I want to thank Stephen Mendilly uh, for that letter recommendation and some others. A lot of people have been writing letters, and uh, I really thank you. The, the ones that I really like touch me the most are the workers. Like, honestly, uh, I, I read some of the letters, like Babs sent me her letter and it's just like, wow, like, so that, that's the big thing for me is that like people that really, this is affected that are writing letters for us. So yeah, this is why we're in it. We're in it for the community and hopefully, yeah, hopefully something happens and we, we get a phone call or an email and an interview and even, you know, the way I'm looking at it, like I'm happy no matter what, like I'm almost afraid that we win. Cause I'm like, shit, now I have to do this job for five years. You know, it's like, just going to change my life, honestly. Cause I love 
where I'm at right now. I, I struggle for a long time and I love where I live. I love my family. I love uh, dog. I do have a dog walk business and we love it. It's like awesome. And I love this media work the most of all. I love having no boss. We have, you know, we have sponsors, we have listeners and all that, but we just do whatever the hell we want. And that's what I just love about it. And mostly like Grant said, it's, I like to help people when we can help people tell their story, get the word out, you know, bang some, you know, bang, bang the pots together to get the attention. We'll do it. Um, and, and I really do enjoy this. So it would be different. It would have to change. Unfortunately, we'd have to figure out, I don't know how we'd do it, but something would change if, uh, I did get this, but, uh, we're really happy. I'm happy. So we'll see what happens on that front. Um, I also want to make sure that we mention that Amanda Bagley, do you know Amanda Grant? I saw you make a post this morning, but I don't think I've had the pleasure of, of meeting her yet. No. Yeah. She's been involved in the, in the, you know, reform movement for a long time. Um, and she's a really nice person. She's married. She has a daughter. Uh, she has a couple kids. Um, but her youngest daughter, uh, Emma, um, has gotten sick recently and she's at Boston Children's Hospital. And, you know, we we're just reading and Carmelita was reading it and we we're just like, wow, you know, like she's not asking for help, but we know, we know that she needs some help. The family needs some help. So uh, we said, we, we, you know, Carm said, we need to send them some money because they're struggling and it's like unexpected. This is COVID-19 related, likely. Uh, there's some issues about the testing and all that, but she, her daughter is one of those rare children that is having the complications that they're talking about. A young child, a young, young, young child. This is a child. And uh, so, you know, we want to give some money. So we reached out and I said, you know, how can we send you some money? I want to give you money. Don't say no. And she was like, yeah, you can, you can say pay, pay, PayPal. And I said, can I get the word out and send it to our community? Cause I think they would want to help you. So I made that post. She wasn't asking me to do it. I asked her, you know, this is a lot of people ask me to, support their fundraisers or whatever. And I don't know these people, so I'm not going to vouch for them. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't have the time to do that. We're not going to ask our audience for money all the time, but this is someone that you just, you know, they need a hand and you know, that's a good, good cause. And so I'm asking people, if you can send some money to Amanda, it's Amanda, it's on pay, uh, PayPal. She will accept money on PayPal. It's Amanda, just like it sounds, A-M-A-N-D-A, Amanda Bagley. And Bagley is B A G. L-E-Y. So it's Amanda Bagley nine at gmail.com. And you can send her money right on PayPal. That's the address to send it to. Uh, I sent a donation uh, late last night and uh, I know some other people have and others intend to. I definitely hope they, uh, send, you know, hook her up and send her a little money. Even if it's only five bucks, only if you have $4 and 20 cents, just send something. If you can. Uh, Grant, do you want to say add anything? There? Well, as you were talking there, I was using the opportunity to go through your profile because I was actually going to link the um, fundraiser or the PayPal in the comments. Um, so I was scrolling there, um, and I'm sorry because I haven't found the post yet. But uh, if you missed the PayPal address, to those of you who are listening, I will get that address and link it uh, ASAP. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So Mike, you're screen sharing just so you know. Yeah, I'm screen sharing. I mean, I thought I would be on the right post, so now I'm just going to find it anyways. That's all right. Well, it gives us a chance to talk about the poll too. So. Yeah. We also have a poll uh, that people may have seen. We're going to have another thing we need to talk about, right? That is true. 
that we, we have a huge uh, event that we do every year. Uh, we did it last year for the first time. It was our five-year anniversary party, but we also did an award show. It was a lot of fun. A lot of people showed up for it. Um, we had Tito Jackson, Shaleen Title, uh, uh, Mass State Rep, Nika Allegato, Joe Gilmore, Grant Smith, Stephen Mendilli. We had a great, great turnout, good uh, night. We gave out a bunch of awards. And this year, we didn't know what we were going to do. We basically canceled on it. We just, you know, because of COVID-19. And so we decided to do it anyways. We're, we just announced that we're going to do it. Uh, and hopefully, people can show up for it online. And you can definitely show up and vote. And a lot of people have already started voting. We've uh, announced one of the awards we're giving away. And it's the Best Activist uh, Michael Malta Award. And a lot of people are already voting. Uh, the top uh, two, three, four, five people are amazing. Almost, we have a hundred names on there. They're all amazing, actually. But uh, the top two were uh, Jen Neifer right now from Mass Cannabis Community. People may know her. Uh, she's got a lot of followers, a lot of supporters. She does a lot of good work. She does edu education. Uh, she's, you know, she's pro-cannabis. I like Jennifer. And also Grant Smith, who's like, it's funny, you guys have your different draws. She's got it from her community, which is more about people looking for information about the products and you know, using medical cannabis and the lifestyle. And she does a really good job of that. And Grant Smith's more like the hardcore activist policy guy. And you have a lot more of the, uh, the people who are applicants and the people who are like in the industry wannabe who are fighting for the things we were talking about, like equity. So it's really cool to see uh, the top two vote -getter getters. And then some others like uh, Nate Andrade, uh, Avril Andrade. The one I really love is uh, Omnique Garner. She's up there. She's got a lot of votes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really exciting to see what's that commissioner titles up there. Yeah. Commissioner titles also up there. She's got uh, quite a few votes too. So you're right. There's, there's a lot of good people on that list and we could keep going. I mean, just name after name after name. And I'm sure we're, we're leaving some out. I'm glad you mentioned, uh, commissioner title being on there. Can I, grant. can I just make a note about that actually? So I just want to say that, um, everyone on that list is an amazing activist. Um, and I'm, I'm personally honored to be on the list alongside some people who are my personal heroes. And in particular on uh, Jennifer, she uh, does some amazing activism work. And I, I know you were kind of highlighting how activism can come in different forms. That's and right. I just want to take, take a second to, to thank her because folks don't realize that what activists are not very good at is branding. That's because right. A, a real activist is not trying to to get themselves out there. They're trying to be to act as a conduit for the information. Yep. And so people like Jennifer, who can amplify that information and who are willing to do this all in a in a in the service of others, when she could so easily be doing this in the interests of corporations, right. deserves to be lauded. And you know and what I, I like about it too? Yeah, people don't realize it's like one of the hardest things is to build a community. And she has a strong community. And a lot of those people I couldn't deal with, honestly. I, you know, some of them will come into rock group and I'll, and I'll get mad at them, kick them out. <laughs> but, uh, like, but there are a lot of good people in that community and it's large. And she lets like real stuff go there. Like, you know, you'll see a lot of other communities come and go, uh, it, you know, and some of them get too tightly controlled by what you're talking about. Like corporate interests will take over. People start paying people and stuff doesn't get posted. And she's just like, no, this is the real deal. She lets the real politics and the, the activism go on that page and she supports it. So 
I love when someone uses their platform for good and has a good platform. So I like her a lot. Um, so yeah, we're going to show again, Amanda Bagley. I just want to show the picture of her, her daughter. So, you know, just because I think people should take a look at uh, this beautiful girl that we're trying to help out in her family. Um, I got it up now, right? And I do is, not, I do not see it now. There, there it is. Go. There, there it is. Yeah. Oh, so see, that's Emma. Emma being a goofball with swollen cheeks and she's at Boston Children's Hospital right now. And, uh, yeah, she, she's had, uh, quite a, you know, few days over there, multiple days now. So hopefully, uh, she comes home soon and hopefully, uh, we can help the family out a little bit, just a little bit. I mean, this is going to cover the mortgage. It would be nice if someone could help, uh, and send maybe a mortgage payment this month, but do whatever you can do, you know? And I did link in the comments uh, for folks who are listening uh, the exact spelling of her PayPal address, and I also linked to the Facebook comment. So if you uh, listen, if you're listening and you need any more information, please feel free to follow that link. And uh, Mike Mike's post has all of the information about Amanda and her beautiful daughter Emma. Yeah. So and also you can uh, we mentioned the poll too, the Young Jerks Activism Award. That's still open. You can still vote. Um, a lot of people still voting over a hundred names on there. And one of the things I like is I voted for all 100. I nominated all 100 and I voted for all 100. You can vote for multiple people. So if you like 20 of them, vote for 20 of them. Like that's the idea of this poll. And it's great to see, uh, you know, the support people are getting on there. And, uh, I'm glad that, uh, people on the list like it. Some good people. It's, it's an honor. It, it is. I know I can't speak for everyone, but it is a personal honor to be on a list uh, for an award dedicated to KOP because that's the origin of fundamentally the modern origin of real grassroots activism in Massachusetts is the work KOP and yourself were doing and others. So it's an honor. I can't wait. We're going to have a nice event. We haven't even picked a date yet because, you know, we'll, we have another uh, poll to do and then we'll figure out who won and then order awards. And then that's when we'll figure out the date, you know, cause I don't want to do it too soon and put pressure. We, you know, we don't know how COVID-19 is going to affect getting awards right now. Everything's kind of delayed. So we'll see what happens on that, but we're definitely going to have an event and uh, we're going to include uh, Michael Malta's family. going to invite everyone on. So we're really excited about that. Um, all right. The last thing I think that, I mean, do you have anything else that you want to announce tonight, Grant? Oh, well, I mean, folks absolutely should be aware that there is an ongoing uh, regulatory uh, re revision coming up. So um, we talked about how Mike's in the uh, application queue for becoming a cannabis control commissioner. Um, but the commissioners who exist right now are thinking about how to update the adult use and medical use uh, cannabis regulations. And so for folks who are interested in that, there are some very uh, important things to pay attention to over the coming weeks. Uh, the rules for uh, home grow, the rules for caregivers, the rules for uh, uh, equity priority uh, status, uh, potentially the re required ownership percentage for equity priority status. Um, there is so much going on. Discussions about um, the Social Equity Loan Fund, Senate Bill 2650, that's being spearheaded by Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz. All of these things are going to start happening over the coming weeks. So if you're a medical patient and you need access to low-cost medication through a caregiver, please pay attention to those discussions. And if the caregiver ratio, if the number of patients that a caregiver can grow for at once does go up, 
Make sure you reach out to the commission and say you support that yeah. change. Um, and likewise, make sure if you care about allowing social equity and economic empowerment applicants to get funding while they go through the process of opening their business and obtaining licensing to support Senate Bill 2650, which would create a social equity loan fund. No interest loans would be provided to social equity and economic empowerment applicants looking to open a cannabis business. And those applicants would then be able to use those funds to get their business open pay back the funds with no interest, and then make those funds available to, to uh, applicants in the future from the equity programs also seeking to open. This is so crucial because if those applicants run out of money while going through the application process right now, they have to turn to vulture capitalists who force them to give up control and ownership of their companies just to get funding to get through the application process. So if we wanna ward off that kind of corruption, and allow these companies, these equity companies to thrive. We must support the social equity loan fund, Senate Bill 2650. Please email your senators and reps and say you support the social equity loan fund. And one more important thing, because I know there's another bill you wanna talk about related to veterans, but there's another bill out there, uh, H4523. This bill would de-verticalize medical cannabis licenses. To go back to the clip we started this show with, they talked a little bit about how vertical integration means that a company has to cultivate, manufacture, produce, and retail medical cannabis at the same time. And so the reason why this is so important is because the, um, they're thinking about breaking up those medical licenses and allowing them to... Uh, to allowing medical applicants to apply for either a cultivation, a manufacturing, or a retail license. However, as I mentioned, there has been no social equity or economic empowerment program for those licenses dating back to 2012. So please reach out to your lawmakers and say, not only do you support the social equity loan fund, but you want lawmakers to amend the deverticalization bill to mandate a three-year priority period during which all new medical licenses will only be issued to economic empowerment or social equity applicants. So basically, we're bringing what we did to recreational to medical, which is deverticalize and allow a three-year, well, actually, this is a little different, but it's the same type of idea, three-year priority period for new medical licenses to SE and E, which is what we want. We want equity. Um, this is great. Like, this is what I was talking about. When I told people things are getting going to get better and we're doing it piecemeal, it's exactly what I'm talking about. That whole caregiver thing you mentioned, Grant, I've been crying about that with K since KOP was here. Like KOP and I, when the first DPH hearing happened, we were complaining about that. We've been complaining since KOP. When was that? I mean, that was, we, we, let's look, go back. We passed medical in 2012. That had been 2013. So basically seven years we complained about the caregiver thing and we're about to fix it. So, and, and lately, if you notice, we don't have to complain as much about things for seven years. Like they actually are getting fixed quicker than that. You know, this is something that I thought would never change. I thought it was done. Like, you know, if you asked me two years ago, I was like, ah, that's never going to happen now. It just, it, it's happening. So, and we, you know, when these opportunities come up, we can't squander them. We have a very good chance. All the stuff Grant's talking about, it's amazing stuff and we can all get it but we got to do our work. We got to ask for it. We have to demand it. We have to call. So call the cannabis control commissioner, call your state reps, tell them that this stuff matters because it does.
because uh, other people are calling, and then that's what we're going to talk about next. This is probably where we close tonight. Uh, unless anyone has any comments, any you know call-ins, whatever, we we still don't get as many Zoom calls as we used to get phone calls, but we have people leaving us comments. So if you want to leave a comment, you can. But uh, we'll open up the Zoom line if you want to try that way too. But uh, definitely want people to know this stuff is happening and we are starting to win and we're going to keep winning. We're going to keep on this war path. Big cannabis is failing. We're winning. The community is winning every indication of it. Like you look back over the last, you know, few months, years, cannabis control commission at the state house, big cannabis is not winning. They're not getting bills passed. They're not getting the regs they want. They're trying and they're paying, but they're not. And we're winning. That's what's happening. This community is winning. But unfortunately, we just had a little loss, and we're going to talk about that loss. And this is an example when not enough people call. And I'm going to say, like, there were people that stepped up for this. Uh, there's a bill uh, that Stephen Mandeli's trying to been, you know, behind for a while. And he's been trying to work on this for years, too. And he was just about there. You know, he's got uh, two of the three cannabis, you know, two of the five cannabis control commissioners uh, publicly supporting him. One writing a letter, Steve Hoffman. And Shaleen Title, who came out and testified for his bill, it's a veterans bill. The other three commissioners didn't didn't uh, you know help or 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 deny. They just kind of stayed out of it. Uh, so we basically had, you know, the Cannabis Control Commission, the two, the the only two that were really on the record strongly on it uh, for him. Uh, he had the whole community behind him, um, and just basically a couple vested interests that were crying. And you know what this was was a veterans bill that would allow veterans to go to the VA or that have already been to the VA and the veterans get their disability designation. If they're disabled, they get paperwork from the VA designating that they are truly disabled veterans. And it would allow them to take that paperwork to the state and get a medical card without actually going to pay a medical doctor uh, the money that it costs to go see, you know, get a recommendation. Um, there's one doctor in the, in the, the, we all know locally that charges $350 a year uh, for this recommendation. Uh, the VA doesn't allow it. Um, you, if you have regular insurance and you go to your regular doctor, they're generally not going to do the recommendation. You have to go pay uh, doctors out of your own pocket. No health insurance is going to be accepted. And you're going to have to pay them to, to give you a consultation. And one doctor charges $350 a year. His name's Dr. Jordan Tischler. And as far as we can tell, we haven't seen, you know, there are some uh, medical doctors that will give free medical recommendations uh, like on Veterans Day or once a year to veterans, or, you know, sometimes they give some hardship cases to the patients that come in. But as far as we've heard, Dr. Tischler has never given anyone a free recommendation, charges everyone $350, uh, which is pretty much twice to three times as much as what everyone else is charging. I'll make note. Uh, we figured out on his statements, uh, you know, how many patients he has, what he's charging, that his uh, office you know, grosses over $140,000 a year. So he's making some good money. And, and probably more recently, uh, when recreational shut down and a lot of people got new cards, by the way. Well, George Tischler was one of the people who was totally against this, what Stephen wanted to do. He came and testified. He talked to the press. And he wasn't alone. There's another group called the Mass Patient Advocacy Alliance who call themselves mass patients. Uh, they go around pretending to represent patients. Uh, they say that they're for access for patients. And then when it came 
time to expand veteran access for patients. They said no. They came and testified against the bill. And now we've noted this many times. Now, Jordan Tischler, again, is on their advisory board. Now, remember how we talked about uh, if someone's your friend and you don't go with them? Well, they're his friend. So the Mass Patients Group has a doctor on their board, their friend, who testified against this. And he said it was about patient safety and that patients needed to go see a doctor to use medical cannabis. To me, that's a, it just doesn't make sense. Other states have done this. Uh, it's not, it would, Massachusetts wouldn't be the first state to do this. The VA doctors are available to the, to the veterans anytime they want to go. They have free medical care. Why do they have to go see Dr. Quack Tischler? But that's what Mr. Tischler wants, Dr. Tischler, because he wants his money. He wants to get paid. So Dr. Tischler spoke against it. Um, the Mass Patient Advocacy spoke against it. Uh, Nicole Snow. Michael Tatula, Jeremiah, and uh, Frank Shaw, the four musketeers, they, they got up there and said, this isn't good for patients. We don't want to expand patient access. Medical marijuana is bad for patients. That's what they basically went up there and said. They took a prohibitionist stance. That's so dangerous. Only a medical doctor can give this recommendation that's trained on it. These VA guys don't know what they're doing. These VA doctors, they, they don't know what a disability is. Yeah, the bill was H four two seven four. Just to give uh, context, and House Bill four two seven four. Yeah, you, it, that's that, that's you know, and at this point, it's meaningless what the bill number is because it's too late. Because what well, happened? It, it went to study. It went to study. You know, and this is where the next part, like you know, so Stephen has this bill, huge community support. Uh, Stephen Hoffman, Cannabis Control Commission Chairman, supports it. Writes a letter in support. Shalene Title, Cannabis Control Commissioner, comes and testifies for it. Veterans come out and testify for it. The community supports it. The only people who spoke against it was the Mass Patients Group and Dr. Tischler. So what happened? We have a progressive uh, government, everyone says. We have great leaders, Pat Jalen and uh, Sonia Chang Diaz leading the cannabis what is this? The Cannabis uh, Joint Committee on no, Marijuana? Dave, Dave State Ro- Rep. Dave Rogers and, and Dave Rogers, Sonia Chang Diaz. Yeah, Ch- Sonia Chang Diaz. These are the people who are the top people on this. They sent us a study. They won't give Stephen a response on why. They won't give me a response on why. Well, just to give folks context, sending to study. No context. That, no context. Well, this is, well, this is bullshit. Means, no, no, I know. But no, what, it, what does it mean? It means nothing's going to happen. Right. People know what study means. It's not going anywhere. Right. It's done. You got to wait a year. That's what it means. Right. That means they said, you know what? We don't care. We don't. We we're afraid of the mass patients group that nobody likes in this community. So you know what? They should be scared of us. They should be scared of me. They should be scared of Grant. They should be scared of this community. You need to raise hell. And you know what? You're not progressive, Sonia Chang Diaz. You're not progressive, Dave Rogers. You're not progressive, Pat Jalen, when you don't even give us a friggin' response. So we're having Stephen Mandilli on this week. On Memorial Day, you know, the, the weekend of Memorial Day, when none of them would respond, we're going to have Stephen on to talk about this. 
because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the, what a bunch of bullshit. We're letting this scam group that takes money from dispensaries. How many veterans have to die? So that's it. You know, you should raise hell. You should be calling these people. I call Pat Jalen. Call Sonia Chang Diaz. Send him a link. They're on Twitter. Call him out. Call out Dave Rogers. Dave's not here again. All right. You're friends with some of these people. I can see Grant's uncomfortable. No, now. no, no. I'm no, calling him not, out. No, I saw no, what you did. Not, no, it's not that. What I was trying to say is what, what you were saying was H4274 was in committee. And the bill was being discussed in committee. And in the Massachusetts legislature, when a bill is in committee, one of two things can happen to it. It can either be passed favorably. No, multiple to the floor. things. Yeah, they well, can do right. multiple things. Yeah. They can but pass it, 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 they can kill it, they can put it to committee, they can do some other crap and send it to some other committees, which is basically send it to study too. They can right. do a multiple things. But there's only so, one thing they should have done on this, right? What should they have done, Grant? Well, they should have passed it. There and by by sending it to study, that's the only point that's I was going to make for another year. Exactly, it was an uh, it was kind of a quiet way of killing a bill. And the the other thing I wanted to point out was I Mike, I'm right there with you. I at the time came out and supported that bill. I at the time made a public post criticizing those who opposed it. And the reason why for me, even though I think the money portion of it is important, it's not so much that. It's that when you are a medical cannabis patient, you are in a database. Now, right. I understand that there's folks so many say, reasons this makes it better for veterans. It's not right. just about the money of certainly the money helps. But like Stephen says, and that's what we're going to talk about. Steve, we're going to talk to Stephen about because he's got the stories. He talks to the veterans. But it's things like, you know, veterans don't want to go see another doctor. They're like, why do I have to go to some quack doctor? I go to the VA. I trust the VA. <laughs> and the VA doctor won't give it to him because it's federally illegal. So that's where Stephen's stuck on. Because Stephen oftentimes wants these guys to try it. Like it's not like Stephen was addicted to opiates. He's a, he's like the all American guy. You know, his dad was what a firefighter. He wanted to be a firefighter. You'd think he was thinking, oh, I'm going to go get some medical weed now that I got a disability. No, he didn't want to try it. He was on all the pills. His wife basically talked him into it. So, and then he discovered it and was like, wow, I should have been doing this all along. So, this is what we're talking about. This is barriers to access. This is putting things in the way of people finding what they need to find. And, and medical cannabis can be a life-saving thing for veterans. We know this. And it's so disgusting for such a small piece of money. Like, seriously, how much money could you make, Dr. Tischler? Like, seriously, it's not even that much money for him. And I don't, his excuse, let's, you know, we'll give his, him his excuse. Oh, uh, we need doctors. We need them to be on this. We need an expert. Well, you know what? We have doctors at the VA. These guys are seeing their doctors. They don't need to go see you. They don't. Uh, and it, it goes back to this in 2012 when they passed the medical law. The medical law was designed in a way that forces people to support these ancillary businesses like the doctors or dispensaries and that really brings it all home i think which is that there is no reason to treat medical patients like second-class citizens compared to adult use consumers did you know adult use consumers right now can grow 12 plants medical patients cannot even grow a single plant for medical purposes technically well why no they can well right but why did, was it set up that way where you had to get a hardship to grow even a single plant 
because they wanted the people who made the law wanted no wanted to force people to use brick and mortar dispensaries. Right, they want to make like, it difficult. Likewise, why did they oppose this bill? Because they wanted to force people to go to medical cannabis doctors. And the reason, the thing I was going to say earlier, why this is important beyond the money, although I think the money is a driving factor behind some of the doctors opposing it, why it's important beyond the money is that if these veterans are found out that they're using medical cannabis, the VA will deny them all other treatment. And I, some people wave this off and say, oh, that's not a real concern. I've never heard of it happening to someone. That's not your decision to make. That's right. If someone and they might has, be just scared of right. it. Like so many patients are scared. Like you said, like, like uh, KLP's mom. If you listen to KLP's video, Michael Malta, we talked about earlier, his mom tried it one night and it worked for her. But she went right back to the pills that she died on. And it was because she was afraid. She was like, it's illegal. I don't, I'm worried about my doctor or my neighbor or my, you know, whoever finding out. And so a lot of people have that still feeling of stigma. And so we have to make it as easy as possible, especially for veterans. I mean, they are the high risk they need it the most. And also, you know, the other thing, a lot of veterans, what are they, what are they, what are veterans known for? Shooting guns, right? I mean, when you go to basic training, you become skilled in a gun, right? And how, I mean, I'm not saying every veteran has a gun. But a lot of veterans are legal gun owners. And that's also an issue if you're in the database. So there's a lot of reasons why veterans don't want to get, you know, the medical card and they get all worried. Anything we can do to just get them signed up. And there's one thing I really don't like, too, which is some people say that if you're using adult use cannabis and don't have a medical card, you can't be using it medically. That's I, I loathe that sentiment. It's disgusting. Of course. Well, we're not human beings with a piece of paper. Right. Of course, there are people whose doctors feel they would benefit from medical cannabis who can't get a card. Of course, I got arrested. There are. I got arrested in 2000. Let me think about that. And I'm just going to say the 2000s. We, we, I think we put it down on paper, actually. You can look at it in the application. But I got arrested for cannabis before decrim. And that was medical cannabis. I was arrested for medical cannabis, just like one joint. I was a medical cannabis user. I didn't have a card because there was no cards back then. Like my medical use has not changed. It's been constant since I discovered that it helped my back pain, my back injury. And that's where it hits home for me too, because so I don't talk about it a lot. My primary disability is uh, involves my face, my facial nerve, my optic nerve, my throat. It's collapsing. But I have two siblings without colons because of how severe uh, ultrasive colitis is in our family. And I have ultrasive colitis. And I'll tell you that cannabis helped my ultrasive colitis as much before medical cannabis was around as it did after medical cannabis was around, even though there was a period there where I wasn't even using it. So that's how I know whether I have that medical card or not. Medical You're cannabis, medical cannabis saved user. my life. No right. matter, yeah, you have been when it was legal and when it wasn't supposedly legal. We're the young jerks. My name is Mike Crawford. Uh, we both of us got a little fired up tonight. Different yeah, points. Yeah, no, you know, I I always find that once we actually get into it, even where we uh, are passionate we end up finding that sort of silver lining or at least something to pull out of it, which in this case is support bill H4274. There you go. And be mad. Seriously, be mad at these hacks. Seriously. 
progressive Massachusetts not helping veterans, not getting back to them on Memorial Day, not even caring at all. You just screwed them. You, you, you went with the vested interest, the people that have a, some silly agenda. We're going to be talking to Steven this week. I don't know when, uh, probably Friday night. I think it's going to be Friday night, is what it's looking like. Uh, so we'll, we'll be getting into this in depth and who, who did what, and we're going to cover it all because I'm just, just pretty disgusting, pretty unseemly. Yeah, and I don't think, one, and it's one of the things that I am so passionate about when it comes to cannabis activism. Laws and regulations are not tools to advance the interests of a given business or even a given interest grift, group. Grift or a cartel. I like that word cartel. We have a medical cannabis cartel going on. Maybe someone should call Andrew Lelling. Seriously. I, Andrew Lelling, are you listening? A medical cannabis patients group tried to stop access in Massachusetts. I don't think Andrew Lelling's a big fan of cannabis, but he does care about corruption. There you go. We're the young jerks. That's we don't care anymore. We're gonna tell we're gonna, and we know you love us. We know this audience loves us. We love you. So uh yeah, we we'll be back. We we got a lot coming up, a lot planned. Count on it. I don't know. What are you, you lawsuits coming out? We got a lot of documents. You you kinda of brushed that off earlier, Grant. You're afraid oh, well, you, we might yeah. say something on it. We well, you haven't released anything yet, so the last thing but you I read them. to do... You read one of them. Uh, I've seen them. Were documents. you kind of shocked by that last document I sent you? It was like, wow. Yeah, I was so shocked by it, I, I didn't even know if we were supposed to talk about it. So. Well, we can, but we're not going to give anything away. I got you. We just yes. got to let people know. We got some good shit coming. That was like, a seriously. very... That was a very... Uh, and the thing about this document, I won't say what it's about, but... Um, very rarely when you read a document do you learn about the industry so much. And uh, let's just say I, I saw a different side of things based on what I read this week. I'll say it's a lawsuit. <laughs> we got a lot of those coming. We, we just, people keep, you know what, too, I got to make sure. If, you, if, you, if you're a cannabis worker in Massachusetts and you see something shady going on at your dispensary, drop a dime. Not to the, well, you can call the CCC. You can call anyone you want. But the first one you should call is this guy right here, Mike Crawford or Grant Smith. Call us. We're right here. Set, we'll, we'll protect your identity. You know, if you see mold, if there's shit going on, we want to know because we're documenting it all. We, we are the, what do we call ourselves, Grant? We are the regulators of the uh, crappy, moldy cannabis that's been going on in Massachusetts. We're the ones who are looking into it. So if you got something, send it to us. And documents too, research. If you're someone that gets approached, you're an applicant and get approached by a shady big cannabis corporation that wants to buy up all the licenses illegally, send us the email. Send us the documents. That's what we do. C underscore 100 at hotmail.com. Um, yeah, and you can also reach us on Twitter at The Young Jerks, Facebook. Uh, I want to thank everyone for supporting the show. Uh, you can find us on midnightmass.substack.com. Subscribe there. We got some good new subscribers. We really love you, especially the paying ones, especially the founding, uh, you know, founding members on there that have been supporting us with money. Um, and I also want to thank all of our subscribers um, on all our different places, like iTunes especially, but Stitcher, Overlo uh, Overcast. We have a lot of listeners on there. I want to thank you so much. And um, 
our Facebook group, The Young Jerks. If you're listening to us or following us on Twitter, you're missing out a lot if you're not on our Facebook group. It's at The Young Jerks. Uh, find us. Find us. We have, we have a Facebook page, too. We don't even post there as much. That's where we do all our live videos from. But it's really our Facebook group that uh, gets a lot of attention and community. And you have to be good in there, too. If you're a meathead, you're probably going to get tossed. Just the way well, it works in there, right? We have a good community, don't we, Grant? We do. And speaking of that, uh, we actually got a comment from Dr. Marion McNabb, who's with the Community Care and Research Network, C3RN. And Dr. McNabb, I think, actually worked with Stephen Mandilli to develop a research study on veteran access to medical cannabis. And what Dr. McNabb has let us all know is that the barriers to access for veterans from 201 mass veterans who were surveyed break down thus. 55% uh, had issues uh, because they couldn't put, get the money to purchase product. 37% had issues accessing their medical cannabis because they couldn't get the money to get a medical card. 33% had issues with access to the right product. 33% had issues with stigma. 26% reported concerns owning a firearm. 21% were worried about workplace or other testing policies. 17% had no place to consume cannabis. But here's the big insight. You know what's I, cool? I've got to cut you off there. Sorry. You can go back to this. I want, yep. I want you to finish your point. But it was interesting. Everyone you said, we basically hit like the top five. We got them all, except for like a couple on the drug testing and an employee. But we hit the top five, I think, which is very interesting. Uh, I love to have the data to back it up, which she has. So she's showing that there is an issue uh, for veterans, and this bill would help address it. And I also want to point out that Stephen Mendeley isn't just some, you know, guy that showed up and they don't trust him. Steven went out. She said the number one thing was about having the, uh, the cost to buy the product, right? Was that the number one? Yep. Well, guess what Steven did? Hmm. He went around to the biggest dispensaries and got a bunch of them to sign up and give a 40% off discount for veterans with a certain disability rank. He didn't get it for all of them, but he got it for the ones who need it the most. So, I mean, this Steven's done. I mean, this is, they're using data to solve problems. And that's Stephen Mandilli and, uh, you know, his partner there, Marion McNabb. Um, go ahead, Grant. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, not at all. That was important. And the last stat, stat that Dr. McNabb left us with was at 77% of the veterans who responded to the survey reported that they're actively trying to reduce the use of prescription or over-the-counter medications using cannabis. So whether or not they have a card, this is life-saving medication for them, and it's crucial that they be allowed to access it without having to go through a medical marijuana uh, prescriber. Are these reps doing enough for the opiate issue when they have a perfect opportunity to help veterans get off opiates? And they say, ah, we'll wait till next year. We'll send it to study because some vets' vested interests don't like it. Well, that's the, that's the side effect. This decision, whether or not people ideologically agree with people it. People might die over this. People will it, die exactly. over this. This, this, will this leave, is no doubt about it. You know, uh, you know, this joint committee is supposed to be the most progressive leaders in Massachusetts. The most pro I mean, the names you said, I would think, oh, it's all set. Those are pro-cannabis people. They didn't help. They let these veterans die another year. It's only a couple of veterans this year. Hey, if it's only like 50 people who die, we can wait till next year. COVID-19, if it's not COVID-19, what? Veter veterans aren't, I mean, who's affected by COVID-19 the most? 
Seriously, have you looked at the veterans' homes? The one in um, Western Mass in yeah. particular. And just, to, you know, I saw someone on CNN the other night or one of these channels, and they made such a, a great point about Memorial Day weekend. You know, all these idiots going around, you know, acting like nothing's going on. You know what? Like, he, they noted that more people have died from disease enlisted in the military than have died in all the wars. Wow. That the big killer in the military is, you know, you're serving and you catch, you know, a disease like COVID-19 in the barracks and everyone dies. I mean, that's what's happened over the, you know, Spanish flu. You know, they talk about, they go back to uh, George Washington. He did the smallpox inoculation. Mm -hmm. And if he hadn't done that to his troops, we might have, we probably would have lost that revolutionary war. I mean, it goes that far back, the fight against infectious diseases. And more people in the military have died while serving from infectious diseases than all the wars. So on Memorial Day, we should be thinking about veterans quite a bit. And we should also be thinking, how can we help? And it is part of the COVID-19. So for them to just punt it, I, I'm, I'm really, you can tell I'm pissed off. I am. I just, I, and we have to raise hell. This is, this is crap. Not All right. We're the injection for me. Yeah. So we're going to be talking to Steven later on this week. We have some other shows planned. Do you have something planned? You have a couple things going, don't you? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely trying to get some things set up. I have one uh, very interesting uh, interview I'm trying to set up uh, with our top vote getter uh, for that poll that you mentioned earlier, Jennifer. I'm trying to get her on with uh, another guest uh, related to that kind of Facebook social media activism work. So that's going to be great. And uh, I might even have a uh, patient interview next week as well. I don't have the final details yet, but I'm trying to get some patients on to talk about hardship access and caregiver grows. So, Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, the other thing too is uh, probably do some little write up on the poll too that we're doing on our Facebook group because it's gotten a lot of attention, a lot of voters. The other things I really liked about it too is like I wasn't even trying to do the nominees. I was gonna just gonna keep going. I didn't know we were limited to a hundred, honestly. We filled it up really quickly. Some good people got left out. Like I'm like, oh, I didn't add Goldie Piff, I didn't add this one, I did There's so many other people that we could have added. Um, but just running through the names, you know, just doing it, like what came to my mind, you know, like good people. And, you know, honestly, we had over forty women on that list. We weren't trying. You know, if I, I look at like uh, the cannabis reform movement and even like just politics in general locally, if we had done that 10 years ago, it would have been 99% men. Huh. You know, this movement has changed. Like the uh, progressive movement, politics and cannabis, especially the more women in it. And there's also more, which I love is people of color and, and, and younger people. So I'm really happy about the movement. I look at someone like Omni Garner, Chauncey Spencer, some of the names on there. I'm just like, these are the up. This is this is the future right here. This is where we're going, and it's really exciting to see. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy. I think that that uh, we're gonna have a great event, and I want to congratulate all 100 people on that list because you're all awesome people. And I'm sure that when you uh, do your next list uh, for the other awards, there will be even more folks. So I don't think those... there will be because we're oh, going to do not, the politicians do the and the appointed uh, oh, ones. And I, see. I think that list is going to be a lot shorter, man. Well, I didn't realize. That's that, the I, thing, though. Yeah. The, the one that gets the most heat and gets the most attention and has the most power 
is the community. That's the change, people. These hacks are meaningless. We have to overrun them. We can, and we should. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, cannabis has changed recently. I think that they realized they had to do that. They had to start listening or people were upset. And, and, and some people like uh, Grant and Shaleen and other people behind the scenes were doing that work and they've been getting it done. So, Well, that's we, the true insight, Mike, right? You saw it firsthand with the DPH compared to the CCC. The DPH was not, for those of you who are just getting into cannabis activism, the DPH was not nearly as responsive not as the cannabis control. Not at all. I think we have a better chance with a Brit McBride than uh, cannabis control, uh, than, uh, excuse me, the DPH. Britta. Yeah, Britta, sorry. It's going to take a while. <laughs> Maybe if she ever comes on, I'll have to get it right, right? Oh, one day, fingers crossed. You'll get her on. You'll interview her. I don't think she'll ever talk to me. Even I'm on, if I'm if I get appointed to the commission, I I don't know, man. She may just be like, um, that commissioner dude. She will never say my name. Now that'll be an interesting meeting. You know, you are allowed to talk to one other commissioner at a time. Yeah. You just can't be. So if you got this is what I find fascinating. If you get appointed, you can only be in a room unless it's a public meeting with one other commissioner at once. At ever. once. At once. But so it's you, very interesting. You, you can talk to different ones at different times, though, right? Yes, as long as it's about different issues. Okay, that's right. So you have to keep track of who you talked about, about the issues. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, and the open meeting law is very strict, too. Oh, yeah. So you, uh, you very rarely, I think, will actually see them. You know, you'll more like talk to one of them at a time if you get on. Yeah. Got to be interesting. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm still in denial about it all, but. Some of the people recommend, uh, you know, I want to thank a few other people too. I uh, probably, you know, should have earlier. Horror, Horror Small, I want to thank him as well. Uh, he's pretty much endorsed me and uh, said he's writing some letters. Um, and it looks like we have some union support too, uh, based on some of the work we've done with the workers over at NETA. And I'm really liking that as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I also want to mention in our poll that we had six. Doing a treatment access employees on that list of the 100, and those six, I hope they win something, you know, because Anne Hassel, uh, Rob Colley, uh, Corinne Prado, Babs, I love Babs, you know. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the other ones. Uh, uh, Ms. Blackwell, I'm trying to uh, remember her first name. Natasha. Natasha Blackwell, uh, and Rob. Um, oh, I said Rob Colley. Uh, Chris Perkins. All of them are like, to me, they are the active of the year. Like they deserve like their own universe and their own wins. Cause all six of them stood up. They really stood up. And Ann Hassel, like congratulations to Ann. Cause all the, like, I don't want to cry for her. Like, honestly, she's been, she didn't give up. And she, like even me, she, she, I wouldn't have written that first story if it wasn't for Ann. So you Congratulations, Ann. The truth is coming out, and they're running scared. They are running scared. You can hear it in the way Ann and Babs and Natasha have started talking in recent weeks. When they first started talking to you, they were angry. They were angry, and they felt disaffected and disillusioned. And now what I hear is passion to change this. And I think it's because not only folks like the listeners to the Young Jerks, but, Mike, you listened and you took and gave them a voice. And I think that's reinvigorated their 
feeling that things can change. So you, you've changed these people's lives. I think it's this community too, because I want to tell something like that was our most that the when we had the four whistleblowers on from Netter, we got good numbers on the on the live stream. It wasn't like our most popular live stream ever, because you know we've had a million shows and we've had some big guests, but by far the largest podcast listen ever. Like so many people listen to that episode afterwards. So it's also this community. People are hungry for this. They know something's wrong. And uh, Boston Reddit Trees blasted the hell out of that. So it's gone everywhere. Uh, a lot of people are aware. So big props to the, uh, the whistleblowers from New England Treatment Access. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, we can, I'm confirming. I mean, we, I, how many, let me ask the audience this. If you're a newcomer and you're not aware about NETA, because some people come across that sometimes. We, we hear that. How many people would you have to talk to that used to work at NETA that would vouch and testify and even put their name on the line that there was mold at NETA before you took it as fact? I mean, we, we're, we're over a dozen. So when a dozen people come forward, is that enough? I think it's enough. I think it's enough for like two or three. You know, we had th- just this year, we've had five of them. You know, and, and actually six, if you include Anne. So we've just in the last two months, we've had a half a dozen former New England Treatment Access employees who all are vouching that there's mold and other issues at New England Treatment Access. I want to know how, how many it takes for the Cannabis Control Commission to actually do something. Well, I think we talked about this last time, but I think if there were something happening, we probably wouldn't hear about it until they do something. They sanction. Exactly. But see, that's not the indication I get. I could be wrong. There could be something hidden from me. But the indication I had is that they were only investigating the COVID-19. And, you know, the reason I hear that is because they talked to the employees. And when the employees brought up the mold, the investigators didn't seem to care. But I also do think it's very strange now that the Cannabis Control Commission is now, during this whole period of time, now they're hiring with a head of investigation. I saw that. I saw that. So maybe you're right. I think there could be something afoot at the Cannabis Control Commission, a little chaos that we don't know about related to this. That's what I feel like. I feel like there is probably something going on, but at the same time, I'm not going to call it an investigation of uh, mold because I don't think that's happening. Well, it's kind of funny because right at the beginning of this, I was thinking a little bit about what it's what it means for you were you to be appointed. And it's, it, this is it, you know, as journalists or cannabis reporters, the way we have to figure things out is we have to try to infer through induction based on what we see happening or who we talk to. But when you're a commissioner, I bet you Get would see data. everything, you yeah. know, and while you oh, I'll be talk asking about for it, I'll be like, I want every report on New England treatment access mold today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, not just that, you, you, you know you can you can truly get all of the information about any companies that have yeah. issues with i want them all because it's not just that either i think that we have a big mold problem in, in this state with cannabis and we need to straighten it out we need to protect employees and you know i don't even know how this is done but you know you see these forums that the cannabis control commission where they have you know the day for the applicants remember those yep i want to have a day just employees Oh, that's very good. I want to have idea. one day where we just have employee after employee after employee testify and hassle all those netter employees. I want them to come in and I want them to sit down in front of the press, in front of the four commissioners, besides myself, if I was on this, so there'd be five of us, 
And we have to listen to what they put up with at these places. Yeah. How about that? How about a day of that? That this Mike, that, that I know you didn't even plan this, but that could single-handedly be something to work towards because I'll tell you, it only takes one commissioner to say, "Oh, I think we should have an, a forum with employees," and it happens. Let's do that. Can you? I mean, you're you're my lobbyist. I'll pay you if you make that happen. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't do any uh, anything like like you don't that do it for money. money. But I, I absolutely you'll do will, it for free. It's basically what you're saying. You I, won't do will, it for my money, but you'll do it for free. I will make a post. I will reach out to some people, and I will try to get this. Look at this guy. Form. He won't take my friggin' money. <laughs> too honest. <laughs> That's what Stephen too. Which it would be me and Stephen are like. Do we need to hire lobbyists? Maybe we'll hire Grant. No, but Grant won't take us money. Take our money. All right. We we should wrap it up. We're we're over our time. We love you. We love our audience. Alternative Wellness Center, Kathleen McKinnon, thank you for getting me registered in the program. I am an official medical cannabis patient again. Uh, they sponsored it. They gave me a free uh, recommendation. Uh, great nurse practitioner, Caitlin. I want to thank her. Um, I want to make sure, again, Emma is in Boston Children's Hospital. Amanda Bagley9 at gmail.com. Send her some money, please, on PayPal. Support her. Support her family. We have a post, too. If you want more information, I can send it over to you. Or you can just uh, join the Young Jerks Facebook group and find it there. The post is also linked uh, on the stream for those who are watching. And as Mike said, can't thank you all enough for watching. And Mike, thank you, as always, for giving me the opportunity to be here. Thanks for putting up with me, Grant. No, and, it's uh, fun. Yeah, and I also want to mention my boy. He sent me a new hat. Uh, this is a locally made brand they do workwear for uh like you know work pants like dickies they're the new dickies locally but they're better products and they're u.s you know 100 percent u.s you know made in america they're local guys up in haverhill uh i think actually they moved to newburyport now their business but it's up off you know up in the north uh just north of boston 1620 is the company 1620 active wear check them out i love their hats and uh yeah it's josh walker people may know him uh his brother's a uh the fire chief up in Newbury, Mass. As well, I used to wrestle uh, with those guys in high school. Good guys. Sixteen twenty active wear. I think that's it, though. We're out of here. Uh, hopefully Friday, be back with uh, Sergeant U.S. Army Reserve Sergeant. He doesn't like to be called Sergeant. We'll call him what his his new title is: Oxbridge Selectman Stephen Mendilly, coming on the show uh, this week, and we're going to talk more about this veterans issue. And read some emails, read some responses he got. He, he, he did get one response, and I got a couple, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll read some of those. Lots well, we, of made, yeah. we made it in under two hours, and we, we got did. through a lot of information. We so. did. We throw it all at you. And we didn't re release too many documents. We've been, I like this. We're like Alex Jones. We got the documents, but we really do. We have the documents. We, we, and if you want to send us more documents, we're taking more big cannabis documents. We love the documents, don't we, Grant? Well, I yep. love reading that shit. We're like geeks. We're like, oh, we got a new lawsuit. Look at this. Yeah, And I love my text-to-speech reader because instead of reading 250 pages, I can have it read to me. You um, have that read? Wow. I just skim them, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, this is a good part. Here's a name I want to look at. But uh, before we go, I'll tell you, uh, Joe Rogan actually called out Alex Jones this week, and I loved it. So I had to tell you about it. So I'm not a big fan of the journalist, Tim Poole. I, I like oh, him, God. but I'm not I a big him. fan. I hate him. But I'm, I'm not telling you this story because right, of him. It just happened on his program. Okay. 
So uh, Tim Pool's reporting, uh, you know, this week on Alex Jones saying that Joe Rogan called him. Joe Rogan called Alex Jones apparently and said, "My decision to join Spotify." for, you know, whatever, a couple hundred million or a hundred million was because I wanted to get back at Google for their censorship, right? <laughs> so Alex Jones calls Tim Pool and says this, and then Tim Pool starts reporting it. Joe Rogan calls Tim Pool in the middle of the show and says, no, I did not tell that to Alex. He's lying. And I want <laughs> you to let you know, I want to, you to let your uh, listeners know right now during the Alex show that lying. he's lying. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know what? That makes me even think Joe Rogan, though, is CIA. How did he know? Like, you know it's he's Tim... not set around. Someone texted him or something? Oh, yeah, you know. But it's probably like you, Mike. Like, imagine if Tim Pool mentioned you. I bet you'd have some random person who was like, oh, Mike, yeah. Mike Crawford, I got to tell him about this. Yeah, but you, you'd get right through on the Tim Pool show? Well, no, what oh. happened was... Well, what I, happened I was... think they're all CIA. <laughs> no, I don't well... trust any of them. I don't. I don't like. I don't like Rogan. I don't like Jones. I don't like Pool. How's that? Well, I think that's fair. Obviously, Rogan is in deep with some people. And, Big money. Yeah, and Alex Jones's father was like some DARPA researcher. So yeah, it's all a it's a small world. And, and a dentist. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. Yeah, look into that stuff. Be careful when you jump through that rabbit hole. But the only conspiracy that you know people don't want to believe is about you know. What's behind Alex Jones and Joe Rogan? They, they'll look at any conspiracy but those. We're the Young Jerks. We've touched on it up tonight. Grant Smith, Mike Crawford, check it out. We will uh, talk to you very soon. we got a lot more planned. We kind of took a little break, if you haven't noticed, because we were working on that application. We were busting to get it in. And uh, now that it's, it's done, the campaign begins uh, on all cylinders. We're going, we got to fix everything in Massachusetts. Uh, related to cannabis and uh, Grant Smith is on it. I'm on it. We're gonna we're gonna get this done. This community is gonna get it done. Just keep calling these people. Call the state reps. Call the state senators. Call the governor. Call the AG for me and the treasurer. And also call the cannabis control commission. You guys got a lot of people to call. You can start calling tomorrow morning. Do it like every day. Put it on your schedule. Make a time for it. That's what I do. And stay right. in, stay informed. Don't just listen to us research it take the time to become yeah. informed yeah that's what i like make sure you know what we're talking about you know so then i have to explain what uh it even means when what were, what were you trying to explain earlier that I even when we were talking about what it meant for a bill to be sent to study yeah you should just know that's what we want and that's what we're trying to get you there we're, we're, we'll teach you we're we're all about education but you got to put the time in too all right. Well, we're, and look at Grant. Grant started from just being a listener caller to hosting. To, we want him on the Cannabis Control Commission. To, if I get on there, he's going to be like the number one reason I'm on there. Honestly, like, so you can you can do this, people. All right, we're out of here again for the night time, right? <laughs> yep. Have a good night, everyone.